Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. Hey guys, this is Ruben on Connection Loop. This is Dub's podcast. And today we have a special guest, Alexis Schomer. And I think I found some of your content on LinkedIn that was about branding. And we've been really exploring the whole topic of branding a lot. And this idea of personal branding and business branding and kind of how video can be used, but also how we can just create original content to lift up our brands. And I feel like it's become a slightly new movement in someone saying, I'm a personal brand and it doesn't matter where I hang my hat, what company I work at, um, but I'm going to go through my career and I'm going to go through my journey and lift up my brand in the process. So I'd love to kind of explore that topic a little bit with you. Um, what is your background? How did you get into branding? So it all started in college when I participated in a competition called Startup Weekend. I ended up winning 10 grand for my idea and this was a health tech startup. And because we were a low budget startup, I started doing all the marketing myself. And then I was approached by other companies, other individuals asking, hey, who did your marketing? And I'm like, I did. So I realized that I was actually really good at it and people wanted to hire me to help them. So I started doing it like on one-off projects and helping people in the community and things like that. And then it just kept growing and now I have my own agency, but it grew organically just from people approaching me and asking for help with their marketing. Um, I do have a degree in marketing, but what's interesting is that I feel like in today's day and age, it's all digital and my degree didn't teach me anything digital marketing related. So... I was self-taught website development, SEO, things like that. Learned a lot from working at a uh, managed services IT company, doing marketing there. And then just grew organically from having to figure things out on my own. And now we, have, we get good results for our clients. Um, people love our branding. So I think we're doing pretty well. So how did you get into health tech specifically? Uh, once again, it was like that competition was the core entry point. Um, I had an idea for competitive cheerleading that I brought to that competition. It was healthcare themed. And since I didn't have a healthcare background, I'm like, okay, well, athletics and healthcare kind of go together because of injuries. So I had an idea for cheerleading. It was a strap that was going to measure a girl's activity when she's holding another girl in the air if she bends her wrist too much. Mm. So my team kind of rolled with that idea, and we pivoted so many times. So we went from measuring joint activity on the wrist to moving to the knee. We went from cheerleading to powerlifting, from powerlifting to physical therapy. And then now we found a really good niche in the orthopedic space because of the shifting insurance landscape. So we're specifically working with orthopedic patients getting um, knee and hip replacements, and we'll eventually expand to more surgeries and more injury types. Hmm. So you mentioned something that is really close to me, which is the pivot, right? And that is a rigorous process that requires time and data and runway. And it's exhausting. And and that's actually, I think, where most people fall off in the entrepreneurial process, where they give up at some point. They say, whatever I just did didn't work. Um, Potentially, they don't see that there was actually some aspect of what they were doing that did work. What was that process like for you? So my team is very nimble and agile, which is good. We pivot really fast. And we learned from like the previous pivot. So I feel like the work and energy that went into that is not wasted. It's just repositioned. So in the first weekend, we pivoted about like five to 10 times really fast. And we worked on an idea for a year and a half. And then my current business partner and I pivoted again from that idea. So that point kind of felt like we had wasted time. But the amount of things that we learned and, and doing customer discovery, it's never wasted because you're always learning. 
So we never really saw it as something that brought us down, except during the competition when we found out that there was a competitor on the market doing the exact same thing we had spent 50 hours preparing for this pitch, and we found out two hours before that it already exists. So we were all going to go home. And then we had one last mentor that came in and was like, hey, share your idea with me. And we're like, no, we're just going to go home. We're not even going to pitch it. And he's like, no, I really want to hear it. So he pitched it. He gave us a perfect pivot to differentiate us from everyone else, and that was going to the workers' comp space. Oh. If it wasn't for that like final pivot, we probably wouldn't have won the competition. Mm. So we. That's, I mean, that sounds like a hail mary, but it sounds yeah, like, you, like you did everything to get to that moment. Yeah, and I definitely felt the downside of feeling like I wasted so much time. But it's always that like final period where you want to give up that things drastically change and push you forward. So ever since that point, I haven't let anything make me feel the same way because I know that the next step is going to be even better. Mm. So in college, had you heard the term pivot? Um, maybe my like final semester. Yeah. Well, isn't Definitely that, not. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. They started to teach entrepreneurship now. Um, yeah. I was the first person to graduate from Cal Lutheran with an entrepreneurship emphasis. Oh, okay. Because they were just getting the program together, and I'm the only one that was a senior at the time who did it. So now they have a fine, like a firm program. They have entrepreneurship as a minor that you can add to any major, which is really great. And they encourage students outside of business to take it because people that are getting art degrees or history degrees, they generally don't think they should take entrepreneurship. But my university does a good job of encouraging it so that they can take whatever they learn and create their own business out of anything. You mentioned a couple of things that are, are so true in that in college these days, from my understanding, the last time I was on a college campus, I was actually teaching one semester at LMU, which was a really great experience for me. Um, I was invited back by the head of the program, who's a dear friend of mine, David Choi. He actually said, hey, will you come and teach a semester and teach marketing and kind of digital? And, and it was a great experience for me. But what I realized was that digital marketing and analytics and data and pivoting and you know, the way that sort of startups have become to be known in terms of how to get them off the ground, they didn't really discuss that. They didn't go through any of those topics and they didn't, I think, a lot of guidance on that. And I was kind of intrigued by that. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of this stuff is new. I mean, the art of the pivot. I mean, I think, um, you know, Guy Kawasaki used to talk about the pivot, you know, way back when. And it was a term that I think more recently became popularized. I think Eric Rias kind of popularized mm -hmm. in The Lean Start, which I think everyone should read. It's a really good book. Mm -hmm. But I think now startups getting stuff off the ground, using limited resources, simple technology, mm -hmm. being nimble, being able to adapt, learn, you know, pivot on fly. I think these are generally, I'd say within the last, I don't know, five to seven years, maybe five to ten years, they're generally kind of new constructs. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's changed now in the collegiate environment. I sure as hell hope it has. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right. I think there needs to be more emphasis put on that. And I think, frankly, everyone should have a minor in entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. If you can get that, you can get it. And then I'll completely contradict myself and say, you don't need any degree to be an entrepreneur mm -hmm. because I spent a number of my years getting myself educated, undergrad, SC, graduate school at LMU with an MBA with a master's in entrepreneurship, but a master in entrepreneurship is failing and it's trying and it's doing it over and over and over again mm -hmm. until you find what you want and you find what sticks and then you kind of scale it up yeah. and then you do that multiple times more. So I, you know, I applaud you on your journey and your ability to pivot on the fly like that because that's intelligent. Mm -hmm. Have you sort of read um, anything or have you, in terms of getting a tech startup off the ground, I mean, what was your backstory on that? How did you learn how to do that? I took entrepreneurship my last year at Calu, which actually did help me change my mindset. Um, and I agree that I think everyone should take that class to learn how to think like an entrepreneur. 
And what really shifted it for me was thinking about problems as opportunities instead of just as problems. So my teacher gave a three-step challenge. It took like a few weeks to solve. Step one was to write down all the problems that you face, from things that annoy you to things that you find troubling. For example, I wrote down parking in LA. Sometimes you can't like dissect the meter. I mean yeah. the, the parking signs. I wrote down another problem I had was when sometimes when I go out and I don't want to carry a purse, I don't really have a place to put my phone and my wallet and everything. So I just started writing down these problems, and then she said, "Okay, step two, think of solutions." Nice. And that was like the like the shifting moment in my brain because I always think like a business owner, like how to run things, you know, grow a business. But I never thought like an entrepreneur in terms of the innovation and the mm-hmm. creativity. Yeah. So that class really did shift my mindset. And it was just that one class. And now I consider myself like a serial entrepreneur because I've done the startup that I created in college, which I exited, and now I'm on my second startup with my current co-founder. Nice. So yeah, so speaking of which, so you are now the, the co-founder of a branding agency in addition to a health like a health tech startup. Yeah, and so we're, we're both together on both. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. See, I think that's genius. I think that's really intelligent because there's this fundamental problem that I think that people have, which is that it's a classic chicken and the egg problem where I want to do a startup. It's going to take money for me to get that off the ground. How am I going to make money to be able to do that? I need to go to investors. Investors say, well, you don't have a product. You don't have traction. traction. You don't have X, Y, and Z. Why would I put my money? Well, no, no, no. But we need your money in order to go and build the tech. And it, all of a sudden, it's like this loop. This is a very solvable problem. It's called revenue, and it's called sales, and it's called taking what you have and what you know and selling it from day one. And I didn't know that. It took me a long time to figure that one out because I was stuck in this loop for a number of years with various startups, and it was challenging because you're never quite ahead of the curve. You're always trying to catch up. And you know when you get into a situation where you need money, and you can't operate your business because you don't have that gasoline in your tank. You suffer and you can't be creative, you can't be innovative, you can't make good decisions. Mm-hmm. But if you live in a life of abundance and you live in a life of, well, I, I, my money problems are solved, I'm fed. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a little bit of runway and I can sort of have this parallel track where I have a services based business like this and then I have my riskier, more kind of product focused business here, mm-hmm. parallel track. And then you figure out which one sticks and guess what, your chances of success are actually 2x because you've got Mm -hmm. two situations going. What has that process been like for you? So I've definitely felt the chicken and egg problem for the last three years. And like you said, the art of like being a skilled entrepreneur involves being resourceful and making your money work for you. And I think that my co-founder and I have done a great job doing that. We've operated on $10,000 for a year, like over a year and a half. So we really spread our money then in a good way. And now we're about to have a product that we can onboard people and start driving sales. So in the beginning, we were like, okay, we need money to do this. And then we just thought of ways to do things more resourcefully. And I actually just wrote a book about this. It came out September 10th. It's uh, a collaborative book. And my chapter is called, It's Never Too Early to Start Your Business, Hacks for Studentpreneurs. Nice. So that's what set us ahead when we were in college is using all of the student-only resources available, such as free printing, free consulting from your teachers who are experts in their field, things like that, for competitions where students can make non-dilutive funding from winning. So we did a lot of those things when we were younger in college and stuff, and that helped us have funding that um, we got without giving away equity. So in this current startup, we just continued having that lean model we worked really hard to find ways to 
build our technology, um, get customers, get traction without spending money on it. So it is possible, but you have to work a lot harder. Like, yes, we could have probably launched six months ago if we had hundreds of thousands of dollars, but we're very resourceful and being in a position where you don't have money, I think is sometimes even better because we're not wasting any. So we we meet founders that spend millions of dollars on something only to find out when they launch it that no one wants to buy it and they didn't spend enough time doing their market validation. So it can be beneficial not to have money because you're spending time like in the trenches and actually figuring out the best way to solve these problems. So we definitely face a chicken or the egg, but I think it was in a good way because we focused more on the product and the problem and now we're partnering with our pilot site who was kind of helping us co-develop this because they were really involved in the process and they're the customer. So it just forces us to be more in the trenches and think more resourcefully. And I think that now, um, once we have something we can sell, we're just going to focus on revenue. And then the investors will come to us when they see all this traction. You know, we are paying customers and we are almost self-sustaining from the revenue. That's brilliant. I think more entrepreneurs, young, old, age is kind of not relevant here. I think they need to have that mindset, you know, because it's truly liberating. And when you find yourself in a situation where you can actually have a product that you that evolves and you know it evolves and you're honest about it and you say, you know, this is what we're good at and this is what we're driving towards. The ability to show that vision, mm-hmm. that's what people in my opinion connect to. You know, your early customers, I think the most kind of resourceful, most innovative, most visionary ones are gonna know that they're on a journey with you and that over the course of the next year or three years or whatever it is, that your product or service is gonna evolve. You know, mm-hmm. and I think the founders I think we all can do a better job to communicate that and say, we're getting started and this is what we do. And no matter what, we should work together. Whether you like my product and you want to sign an invoice or whether you need services and I can help you today, both are cool. So very cool on that. One of the topics that we've been exploring is just this idea of branding. So you run a branding agency, which is amazing. What's happening in branding today? I mean, I have this mantra that I always try to live by, which is sales overnight, brand over time. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of lived by that because it solves that problem. It goes back to, you know, being able to, to feed yourself, but, the, but at the same time build something bigger. Yeah. What's happening in branding? So I think people have been hearing this kind of phrase a lot where branding is not a logo. Mm-hmm. Um, because some people associate branding yeah. with, okay, what's their logo? That's their brand. Logo is a very small part of your brand, but it's a lot more than that. And it's what I'm noticing today is that people are actually diving deeper into their mission and their vision overall, the core values of the company. And I think this is also driven by the millennial population who value more than just money and they want to work in a place where they feel like they're giving back, you know, they they like the corporate culture, they like the people they work with. And so these aspects are more important to the millennial population and companies are understanding this and putting more time into their overall brand. So it encompasses everything from their color palette to what goes on inside the office employee to employee or manager to employee like what's our relationship on dynamic look like it's all part of the brand so i'm seeing that trend a lot on the corporate side and then also we talked about personal branding a little bit and that's another really important piece for the individual within the corporation because people bounce around different companies especially for example let's say doctors for example they might work at one practice and they might work at UCLA Health they might break off and start their own practice but 
wherever they go, if they don't have personal branding, they're not taking anything with them and they're not building anything over time. It's lost with the past employer. This is true for lawyers or pretty much for anyone. You, you know, you bounce around jobs, but you're always yourself. So you have to have some sort of personal branding that you carry with you. And this can be seen in the form of video content. If you're creating videos on YouTube, if you're creating videos on your Instagram, it can be seen with your own email signature. So there's a lot of ways you can start implementing your own personal branding, but the first step is to just think about it. And most people actually do a lot of personal branding, they just don't realize it. But if you took a step back and think about what am I currently doing that shows my voice, my character, and builds reputation over time, those are all parts of personal branding. So there's two, definitely personal and corporate are separate, but they also go together, especially for business owners like myself. I have my brand, Simply Branded, I have XB Health, but what about, what does my personal social media look like? So you want to keep them consistent, and I believe that you should share core values with the company you work for. So in my case, my company core values align really well with my personal core values. Okay. So they're separate, but they definitely tie together, and people need to start thinking about how they build their own personal brand and how it ties into their corporate brand. Okay, so you and I met through video content, more or less, which I think that sums up the future of how, at least from my perspective, how connections, how relationships can be created within the business world. Because when you watch a video, you it's like seeing a person in real life, right? So you had a chance, I think I sent you a link of something that I had recorded, and then you had a chance to kind of check that out, maybe click on a couple of links and kind of understand what my vibe, my personal brand was. So I'd love to get your expertise on things that I can do to evolve my brand. Now I know that I gave you the wrong address for our meeting, so, that's, <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of the first things I have to do is put the right addresses and calendar invites. <laughs> but what are some of the things that you might recommend based on you know the limited stuff that you potentially have seen on me? For your personal brand? For my personal brand. Well, I haven't done too much dating on your personal side. Okay. Based on but, what you know so far, okay. what would be some recommendations? So, I don't know if you produce any non-digital like digital content, or okay. I don't know if you produce like written content. Yeah. Do you? Um, yeah, so we're big in like blogs. Okay. So our hack here is that we do a lot of voice to blogs. So in a car or just using my okay. phone, I'll just record something and then I'll, I'll have I use a service called Rev okay. to transcribe it and then a writer will actually produce it. So we do that. We could do more though. Yeah. I was going to say do the opposite. Yeah. A lot of people blog, but they don't produce any audio or video content. Yeah. So the way that you do it makes it easier because yeah. you just say what you're thinking and then they can create a blog out of it. But I recommend people doing the opposite. If they write a lot of blogs, create some other content around that. And something that is important to do is to repurpose content because if you've already done the audio, you've already done the blog, you might as well make an infographic out of it, social media post, and then reshare it on your personal LinkedIn. So that's kind of a strategy that we have where you repurpose content so that you can have five pieces of content out of really just one message or one point you're trying to make or something you're trying to share. So that's an easy way to get quadruple your content or you know, repurpose what you already created. Um, and then... I mean, yeah, the one thing I noticed was the scheduling. So just being having all the information. People like more information than less. Yeah. So if you have an event, I always try to have as much information as I can, like agenda, meeting time, parking, in the event information right. section. So, but that's kind of not really a branding thing. That's just a, a logistics thing, I right. guess. Nice. That's I do want to check out your stuff, though, and give you a more 
Please. A better answer. Awesome. That question. Well, that, that'll be the next one that we do. The next podcast okay. will be, it'll be like... Um, Personal branding session for Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to like okay. exploit that and get a, get a session out of you and get some of your expertise. That's cool. So there's a topic that I also wanted to bring up, which is, you, so you've written a book, or at least you um, contributed to a book. You've, you're running two companies. You also have time for volunteering. What are you doing to volunteer? So I volunteer, um, lately I've been volunteering a lot with students and helping them with practice pitches, mock interviews, things like that. It aligns well with my business because I do interview a lot of people. And it's also good because if I find a good student, I'll have them intern with me, which I just recently offered to mentor a girl I met interviewing. But I've done a few of these mock interview sessions. I judge business competitions like the Conrad Challenge, which is um, a global business plan competition. I judge Startup Weekend, things like that. I like giving back in ways that utilize my skills because I feel like I've worked hard to develop these skills. So if I can volunteer and like teach people or like use my skill, put my skills to work in a different setting, I really enjoy that kind of stuff. I'm also shopping around for a board seat. So I've been volunteering with a few organizations in the area, mainly uh, women-focused organizations, either mentoring girls or girls in tech is another one I'm working with to, to volunteer and then potentially get a board seat on. Uh, yeah. So I like that's, volunteering that's, in areas that awesome. yeah revolve around marketing, business, mentorship, entrepreneurship, innovation, things like that. I think one of the great things about putting yourself out there and giving back to the community is that you're also networking. So there's like this altruistic component, but there's also this, it's not an intentional narcissistic thing, but it, it's a residual benefit, mm-hmm. you know? When you put yourself out there, you get your brand out there, you help people, there's networking. And, mm-hmm. you know, being involved in nonprofits is, it's an important thing. Um, sometimes it takes time. Sometimes, you know, entrepreneurs might struggle with the speed at which they move because mm-hmm. they're in a different realm. And, you know, there's definite money issues and mindsets which are slightly different from the, the more corporate space. But I, I think that's a really, really important way to give back and a really important way to kind of project you and your career. A question that I have for you is that, so at what point did you sort of decide that you wanted to be a leader, an entrepreneur, a business owner, a risk taker? I mean, I don't know how old you are, but I mean, I'm sure a lot of your counterparts, they're not in that mindset whatsoever. They're, they're, maybe they have a job, maybe they're looking, maybe they're traveling, maybe they're vlogging, I don't know. Is that within your genetics? You come from an entrepreneurial background? Where, where does your ambition come from? So I've always had kind of that ambitious personality, and you asked also about leadership, so they kind of went hand in hand for me um, through school, through high school. I was like captain of my cheerleading squad. I was on senior leadership council. So I always had that personality and I wanted to be a business owner, but I didn't know what. And winning that competition senior year really was kind of like my life-changing moment because I realized that now is the perfect time. The younger you are, like it's never too early to pursue your business. So I actually gave up my plans after graduation. I was gonna be part of AmeriCorps and volunteer and go to Hawaii or some state and give back that way um, and I was actually like accepted and in the final stages and I turned it all away to start my business so I've definitely taken the non-traditional route I'm looking at my friends and colleagues you know they got jobs and they still tell me to this day like just go get a corporate job you'll make a lot of money and I know I would and I'm not like denying that but I also think that this time is the best time to start and pursue a business because the older you get, the more responsibilities you get. So I'm lucky that I don't have a family I need to, you know, feed and put a roof over. So I see it as the best time to start now because it's less risky now than it will be in 10 years or in 20 years when I have all these other responsibilities and things I need to take care of. 
Yeah. Well, on the flip side of that, you know, I'm married with two kids, and so I have a lot of responsibilities. (laughs) And there's definitely pros and cons for starting a business at different stages of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, when you're in your 20s-ish, yeah, 27. Mm -hmm. How old are you? I just have to ask. I'm 25. 25. Okay, cool. So 25 is, you're right, it's a perfect time to start a business because you don't yet potentially have a mortgage and kids, and you haven't amassed all that quote unquote baggage, <laughs> dare I call it baggage, I just did. <laughs> you know, whereas when you're 42 years old, all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself sometimes in a different situation, not always. But here's what I know. What I know is that, yes, when you're young, you have a lot less of it, but you potentially have less experience. Yeah. You know, and you haven't necessarily gone through some things. Right. And you can't, like, pull from those experiences. So, you know, yes, you're more nimble with less responsibilities, but you're also kind of learning in the process. Yeah, sure. And we all are learning because everything is changing so fast. But then, you know, when you're a little bit more mature, 30s, 40s, 50s or more, some great entrepreneurs got started when they were in their 50s. I mean, mm-hmm. Ray Kroc is a good story. There's a number of other ones. But I think in that situation, you can pull from a larger network potentially, mm-hmm. you know, access to capital, you know, access to a zeitgeist information, things that you know maybe some gray hair. So, you know, I say it's, it's good on both sides. Yeah. I just think if you want to do it, do it. Like mm-hmm. there's no excuse. There's no reason why you shouldn't do it. You can always find a way if you make that choice. I just think that, you know, your model of having, you know, parallel tracks, I think is, is the wisest one because even with responsibilities, even if you do have the mortgage and the kids and everything else, if you have that model of saying, I'm going to generate revenue and I want to innovate on whatever at the same time, you can actually solve those problems. Plus, there's a lot of hours in the day. There's your nine to five, and then there's your five to nine. People talk about the hustle mm-hmm. all the time, you know, and that hustle is real and it's required. Yeah. And, you know, you might find yourself that, you know, hey, you know what, for the next two years of my life, I'm not going to go and party on the weekends. Right. I'm not going to go watch movies. I'm not going to go skateboarding and do whatever it is that I'm going to do. I'm actually going to have to get my work done. You know? Yeah. Because there's some benefits from that. Because I went yeah. through that in my life for a number of years and it was real. At one point, you know, I was juggling three jobs, startup, like it was fun, it was real, mm-hmm. but you know, now I'm, I'm in a better place. Like I'm, I'm actually realizing the ROI, you know, the fruits of my labor and, and it's a good feeling. So I've yeah. got a lot of work to do, we're all students, but you know, it's been a great journey. Yeah, the sacrifice is definitely something that you have to decide to, to, to give because like you said, if you're working a nine to five and you want to start something, you have to do it on your lunch breaks an hour before work and in your nights and weekends and stuff and I I did that too at one point I was working and trying to do my startup and realized that I had to like just commit fully if we were going to start raising money and things like that because investors want to see that you're committed but then you know how do you make money on the side so luckily my co-founder and I have a really good relationship where we we can balance each other out and I can generate some revenue with our marketing agency and it just leaves puts food on the table for us but you have to sacrifice a lot of things like we both don't spend a lot of money on the weekends right now compared to all of our friends who go out, you know, go to fun restaurants and all that stuff because we are putting our money towards our business. And like you said, I definitely agree with you on the benefits of starting later with more experience, probably more money in the bank, a bigger network. And I've thought to myself many times, I wish I just worked in this industry for five years and then I would have a lot more knowledge. 
So we are taking the other approach, which poses a lot of challenges, a lot of credibility challenges for people our age trying to sell to doctors who ask us, like, oh, are you doctors? No, but we're building a technology for you. But we surround ourselves with people that can fill the gaps. And that's where we're also resourceful, is finding the right advisors for our team and partnering with the people that do have the experience to, to learn from and to help us solidify our business. But my message isn't, like, you should only start when you're young, but I don't. I, my message is to inspire the people who are discouraged because they think they have to have 20 years of experience and a million other things. Yes. So my message is, you know, yeah, that would be great if you do, but you can also start now and think of different ways to leverage other people's experience to benefit your business. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think there's something really intelligent about that because it's have the mindset of someone that's quote unquote young because you're an inner child and you could be a risk taker and you could do that, but then have the responsible mindset of someone quote unquote more mature, more, more older, mm-hmm. and find the best in both of those worlds. Right. Don't be afraid to take your risks and actually put yourself out there because there's a lot of good things that can happen. So another really, I think, important things on being efficient and being productive mm-hmm. is there's a lot of things that you can do in your in-between moments. You know, we take a lot of time to do the things that we want to do. I mean, in a nine-hour workday, if you really focus on the things that you need to do, you can actually cut that number in half. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's the you know the light conversations at the water cooler or the transportational reality sometimes, if you kind of mitigate all those things, you can actually experience hyper-efficiency. And I've done that before. And one of my life hacks on that is to have a to-do list that's big, that's medium, and that's small, and then I put a timer on every single one. Mm-hmm. And if I give myself three hours, it's going to take me three hours. If I give myself 30 minutes, it's going to take me 30 minutes, you know. And actually, the quality is not that much different. You know, so having that, you know, tomato timer, which I think is more on a 25-minute basis, but having that timer, it kind of activates um, a survival instinct, I think, within us, which I think really helps us. Yeah, I actually have the same philosophy, and I use a system called ClickUp, mm-hmm. which is a project management tool. My co-founder and I, we at least once a month, we'll go through, and we put all of our to-dos in there. We can rank them by priority, so we have urgent, normal, low. We do a time estimate, and then we have a time tracker. It's a free tool. That's incredible. So we put everything in there. It's always ranked by um, due date and urgency, Mm. so that the most important tasks are on top. But if I actually had a timer that went off, you know, that would be a little different, because you can have the timer on the screen, but... Who cares if you go over time? It's not ringing. So maybe that would create even more. That's event, cool. Right? That's like gamifying productivity. <laughs> See, that's yeah. a startup idea right there. <laughs> productivity should be gamified because there's no one that I'm more competitive against than myself. Yeah. So if I say that it's going to take me two hours to do it and then I click, you know, the timer and I start my thing mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, I, I better, I better get less than the two hours, yeah, you know? and then being rewarded for your yeah. efficiency. Yeah, maybe, That's, yeah, it's maybe idea. like you know, trees trees get planted in, in, like, <laughs> in the Amazon or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Nice. So, you're a certified scuba diver? I am. Nice. Yeah. Patty, or? Yeah. Nice. I got that when I was studying abroad in Australia. Mm, that's that's a place to do it. Yeah, it was fun. I haven't been diving recently just because it's been... Uh, because you're running two businesses. You know, yeah. Hustle, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I would love to explore more places. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really calming yeah. underwater yeah. and quiet, which was like something that I took by surprise because I wasn't expecting it to be so relaxing and quiet mm. underwater. So good. You're a diver as well. So good. I'm just getting the chills thinking about this. <laughs> 
Because I miss it. I miss, I miss, yes, I miss screwdriver, but it's been a lot of years. So I mm-hmm. went through the PAGI certification process, and I was really passionate about mm-hmm. diving. Great Barrier Reef, Belize, Thailand, um, Dominican Republic, St. John, Costa Rica, Puerto Rico. Like, it, the list just, like, goes on. Like, I was in it. My favorite place to dive was Belize, actually. Nice. Going to the Blue Hole, and, uh, you know, the reef out there was just incredible. I had some sharp dives, and I've had plane wreck dives and uh, you know warships just some really interesting stuff so wow. it's been a journey but you're totally right it's so serene and it's so calm and peaceful down there mm-hmm. you know it's like meditation I think my new form of scuba diving is now just like meditation scuba diving in my head because <laughs> you really aren't thinking about anything else yeah you have to obviously focus on you know your gear and being safe but yeah. you're focused on nature right and I think meditation involves a lot of nature and and often, like the apps are nature scenes and nature yeah. sounds, so they should have that water version. No, they should. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, actually, one of the things that scuba diving has really helped me is is to not panic. Mm-hmm. Because in life, when something really terrible happens and you panic, that's where all the mistakes happen. Right. That's where we screw up. You right. know, that's a different side of our brain. Now, sometimes you need that adrenaline and you need to be able to react, and that's a survival instinct. But oftentimes. You actually have to just breathe. Mm-hmm. And that's what scuba diving is all yeah, about. Yeah, you panic, you could die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like your breath is your life. And that is, there's something really philosophical and spiritual about that. Because without breath, there is no life. You know, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of kind of Eastern philosophy on this. Um, pranayama, and there's some like different types of breathing, and yoga, and stuff like this. But in scuba diving, you straight up need it to live, you know. So, you know, it's important for, I think, people to be able to find these metaphors and these exercises so that, you know, they can deal with stress and, and frankly not die. Yeah. <laughs> that is really interesting, and uh, I can definitely see how just breathing in a situation can cause you to not make a lot of mistakes you would make if you were, like, freaking out and running around and anxious and all that stuff. Exactly. Cool. Well, listen, this was really, really cool. I love this conversation. Uh, I really appreciate your time. And we want to know where we can find your book, the book that you contributed to, your websites, and then social. All right. So you can find my book on alexisshomer.com. I send personal signed copies now. So, you know, just leave your name when you buy it, and I'll send you a signed copy of that. My marketing agency is simply-branded.com. And my startup is xphealth.com, E-X-P-Y. Um, social media is last name, first name. So at Shomer Alexis on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, just first name, last name. Nice. Yeah. Are you on TikTok? No. Okay. You're too busy to be on there. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, maybe round two for your personal branding session. I need that. All right. <laughs> I'm a work in progress. <laughs> 